The Bible from the sermon series Faith Foundations, spoken by Pastor Peter on. So last Friday was a real important day for my son. He turned 17 years old. And you know, if you live in the state of New Jersey, 17 is a really big year for most people. Why? Because they're eligible for a driver's license. And so my son was really looking forward to it. He, was, he couldn't wait. He had major plans of what, would he, what he would start doing once he gets his driver's license. So we got up really early in the morning, and we went to the DMV last Friday on his birthday. And we used just one of our cars. We felt like it would be appropriate to use it, and it would be fine. And so when we get up to, uh, to where the road test was supposed to begin, the driver instructs there first. He's outside, and he says, roll down the window. And he asks a couple questions. And then he just said, could you roll your window back up? And we did. And he said, sorry, you cannot use this vehicle. And I said, why? He said, well, the windows are tinted. I said, so? He said, there's no tints allowed for the road test. And he showed me the back of his clipboard, and it said, no tints allowed. And he said, it's written here. I can't let you go. And I said, no, 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 wait a minute. My daughter last year got her driver's license, and we had tinted windows. You guys didn't care about that. And she, he was like, well, that was during COVID. And during COVID, all the windows had to be put down. So we didn't even check. We didn't have to check because it was mandatory that we do the road test with the windows down. So I said to him, I said, sir, is it okay if we just do the road test with the windows down? He said, no, look again at the clipboard. He goes, it's written, no tinted windows. And I was trying to convince him, but he kept saying no. He was so stern about it. And there was a part of me that wanted to say it, but you know, like rules are meant to be broken. It's a stupid rule. I mean, come on, this is the car he's going to be driving. You should want him to t- get tested in the car in which he's going to be driving. But he kept saying no. And I said to him, I said, but sir, look, all the road tests are being done right now with the windows down. So why can't we do it? And he said, you got to go back home and you got to reschedule for another appointment. We went back home and I went online to look. He says, you got to book it online. And the next earliest appointment where we could make for him to do his road test was in April, mid-April. And I said, oh, that's not going to work for me. And so I called his driving school. I explained the situation. The woman at the driving school said, well, listen, I know the supervisor at DMV. Let me just give them a call and see what I can do. And so she did. She worked it out, and a couple hours we went back. We used their car, the driving school's car, and he was able to finally get his driver's license. And now, yeah, the roads are a little less safer now because that boy is driving. So be careful. Be careful. But you know what really impressed me? I mean, it annoyed me. It annoyed me, and it's also impressive, was that this employee from the DMV was not willing to budge simply because it was written. It was a rule. It was a policy that the higher-ups came up with, which I think is foolish. And uh, when the windows are all rolled down for, for him to have to enforce. But he did that because he knew that if he didn't do it, if he deviated from those rules in the policy, that there would probably be consequences that he would have to suffer, right? Be reprimanded, maybe put on probation, or maybe even worse, maybe lose his job. And I thought to myself, man, if we can do that, if we can do that in terms of our employment, what about the word of God? Do you believe God is, that the Bible is God's word that has been written for us so that we can obey it? Do you believe that? You know, Gallup did a poll back in May of this year, and it was stunning, stunning. They asked all Americans, they said, how many of you believe that the Bible is truly the very word of God? 
20% of Americans say that the Bible is the actual word of God. Now that has gone down 24% from five years ago. That means five years ago, if you ask an average American, 44% of Americans said that they believe the Bible is the word of God. They asked the same question to Christians, American Christians. And you know what that number was? 25%. 25% of Christians in the church today in America believe that the Bible is the word of God. So here's the unfortunate reality. 75% of you in this room, you don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, you'll never maybe say it explicitly, but your actions and how you live your life screams it. And our lack of regularity of being in the word really does express that we don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Today, we're going to continue in our series called Faith Foundations. And Metro, I just want you to know that the Bible must, must be a faith foundation for you. If it's not, you don't got chance. But before we can really talk about that, how, why is the Bible a faith foundation? We have to first answer this question. Why is it such a barrier for us? Why don't we get in the word? Why don't we look into it and dig into it and apply it for our lives? What is the barrier, the single greatest barrier that prevents us from really allowing the Bible to truly be God's word in our life? Because if you could grab onto this today, and figure out this barrier for you, I think 2023 is gonna look real beautiful for you. Because if you can make the Bible a big part of your spiritual faith foundation, um, there is no way that that's gonna hurt your life and make your life lesser than in 2023, all right? So we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna look at some scripture today, some real powerful scripture that teaches us a little bit about the word of God. So let's just go to God in prayer. God, we come to you right now, and for those that might be watching online, even those who are in the nursery and the people that are here, Lord, the reality is that there's a lot of us, the majority of us in this room, we don't really believe that the Bible is your word. Some of us believe it's just an ancient book that was written many, many thousands years ago. And it doesn't really apply to their lives. And God, this is not a sermon to feel guilty. That's not what it's about. But Lord, I pray that today you'd really speak to us, that you would really speak to us from heaven. Amen. And encourage us that if this book was good enough for Jesus... Why can't we begin to live our lives knowing that it's good enough for us? What is the barrier, God, that prevents us from seeing this Bible as your word? Would you show us that today? And would you give us the courage to battle it, Amen. to destroy it, so that the Bible can be a faith foundation in our lives? And so, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray that it would be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12. Hebrews 4, 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, all right? Hebrews 12, 4, 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I think it's worth reading it one more time. Here it goes. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is that powerful. Metro, there is no implicit teaching here about the Bible in Hebrews 4.12. It is very explicit what the Bible is really about. 
that it's alive, that it's powerful. It's not some documents that have been written 2,000 years ago where we see it more as a historical document, but it's alive and it's powerful and it can impact and transform your lives. It can expose your innermost thoughts and desires. When was the last time the Bible actually was able to expose your innermost thoughts and desires? Has that ever even happened to you? Where you've actually read the Bible and you felt like the Spirit spoke to you in such a way that exposed the innermost desires and thoughts in your heart, and you were able to see that and see where that lies with your relationship and your desire and your thoughts about God. When was the last time that actually happened? You see, you may not believe this, but it's true. 100% factually true. Hebrews 4.12 says it. The Bible is the number one way in how you and I could hear from God. Amen? Amen. The Bible is the number one way in how you and I can hear from God. You just have to build that muscle a little bit. Because some of you are like, well, I've never really heard from God when I read the Bible. I get that. I really do. And I'm sensitive to that. But you got to keep reading it because Jesus says, right, in John, he says that, listen, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And guess what the Holy Spirit is going to do? I will speak truth to you. And I will bring it to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will communicate it to you. And so how that happens primarily is when you read the Bible, Jesus will tell truth to the Holy Spirit to relay to you. That's how it works. And you got to build that muscle. It takes some time, but once you begin to build that muscle, God will begin to speak to you. And I know that's crazy, but that's the truth. You're going to be able to hear from God. That's why it's worth you and I giving all of yourself an effort, making all the effort that you can to be in the word. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, that's Hebrews. He's talking about the Old Testament, Peter. He's seriously not talking about the New Testament. No, it's Old Testament and New Testament. The proof text of that is found in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Let's read this. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave you. He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. This passage that Peter writes is a key passage for us to conclude that the scripture, the Bible is both Old Testament and New Testament because Peter puts Paul's letters on par with scripture. And if you don't know this, 75% of the New Testament is Paul's letters. So the Bible is not just the Old Testament, it's the Old Testament and New Testament. If you think the Bible is just a book of fables for us to conclude that scripture is just, just a writing or historical document, then my conclusion then is you believe in another God. And so the greatest barrier that you and I often experience that causes us not to get into the word, you know what that barrier is? It's idolatry. Idolatry. I'm going to explain this a little bit. We got to get through this barrier first. All of you in this room struggle with idolatry. You know why I know that? Because in the Old Testament, it's the number one theme. God talks more about idolatry than anything else in the Old Testament. 
And if we're anything like just normal people, we all have things that we would often consider to be more important than God. And there are things that often draws us away from God. That's what idols are. Idols purpose is to draw you away from God. And so when you're being drawn away from God because of the idols in your life, what happens when you read the Bible, when you're living in idolatry? You don't hear much from God because there's this huge distance between you and God. And so if you want to hear from God through the word, you've got to lay down your idols in life. Because when you lay down your idols, you're going to be able to get closer to God. And when you read the word, when you're close with God, there's something beautiful that can happen through it. So if I'm going to be very honest with you about my own life, I've struggled to read the Bible for a big part of my Christian life. It's been hard for me too. And so I'm not here to say to you, like, every time I read the Bible, it's like, oh, I hear choruses and God just speaks and it's this beautiful thing. But no, I've struggled to read the Bible. And, you know, I became a Christian when I was a sophomore in high school. And I just want you to know that when I became a follower of Jesus, I was like a radical for God. I really was. I was on fire for God. You know what I did in my high school years and in my college years? I would go to malls and I would evangelize. How many of you would do that? That's how much of a radical I was. I'd go and I would never like speak to like adults about it. Cause you know, the Korean culture, you got to look at adults with respect. I would always target like kids my age, but especially like middle school kids. I love targeting middle school kids. Cause even if you get rejected, it's just a kid, right? And so I would like, I would profess and I would try to get them to be a Christian, but I would do that regularly. That's how much of a zealot I was. But I still struggled to read the Bible back then. I really did. I really saw the reading the Bible as a duty. That is something that I have to do if I'm a Christian. That if I don't do this, I am not a Christian. And so I did, I would read the Bible and it was always a struggle. It was like work because a lot of times I'd read it and I just didn't understand it very well. Particularly the Old Testament, it just didn't make much sense to me. Then I went to seminary, right? Years after I graduated, I worked for a few years and then I went to seminary. Now you would think that once you go to seminary, they teach you how to exegete the scriptures and all that stuff. And then once you're able to do that, your Bible just means a lot more to you, right? You, you study Greek, I studied Hebrew, and then you can really do etymologies of words and all that kind of stuff. And you would think it was like amazing. I'm not going to say that it wasn't. You learn these things and it really does help. It does. And I would say the times that I really connect with God the, the most in the scriptures is when I go away on a silent retreat. That's why in my own spiritual walk, I have silent retreats scheduled in my life. Because when I go to a silent retreat, all I bring is a journal and a Bible. And I go for about 30 to 48 hours. And I turn off my phone and I'm in the word. And I'm just in the word and God just speaks to me in beautiful ways. Sometimes it's like drinking water from a fire hose. That's what happens when I go away on a silent retreat. But even till this day, even till this day, I still struggle to read the Bible, if I'm going to be very honest with you. And you know what I've come to realize and what I've learned? Here's what I've learned over the years. I've learned that whenever I struggle with the Bible, whenever I'm just kind of reading the Bible, and I always read the Bible regularly, no matter what. And if I'm not hearing from God for a long period of time, I'm realizing the reason why that's the case is because of my idols in my life that I too struggle with idolatry, that there are things constantly drawing my attention away from God and it's difficult for me. And I have to get to the place in my own life that I have to identify those idols and then I have to lay them down at the altar. Because if I don't do that, then there's a distance between me and God. And when I read the Bible, it's really hard for me to hear. Sometimes through the grace of God, I do hear from him, but I hear from him so much more when I can lay down those idols. 
Hebrews 4.12 says again, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so I ask you today, what are the idols in your life? You see, when you and I embrace Christianity with idolatry, you know what that is? Casual Christianity. That's what it is. I did some writing on it. If you get the weekly e-blast, I wrote about casual Christianity this week, about how easy it is for us to use the word casual. Like, we, we use it a lot, right? We say, hey, I'm dating this person casually, or, you know, I'm not really a, a, like a serious tennis player. I'm just a casual tennis player, a casual golfer, right? What does casual mean? It means that it's very relaxed, it's comfortable, you don't really go all out for it. To be casual means that you have this relaxed mentality and you're completely unconcerned about what concerns God. That's what casual Christianity is. Casual Christianity is that because you have these idols in your life that you worship, that you expect God to concern himself with the things that concern you, rather than we, as his people, are concerned about the things that actually concern God. That's casual Christianity. And when you and I live in idolatry, what happens is that we become these casual Christians where we absolutely love comfort. And you know what? That's the goal of Satan. Satan doesn't want you to be cold for Jesus. God forbid if you're cold, you might get hot. Satan wants you to be casual with God. He wants you to live in comfort. He wants you to be what the Bible uses the term lukewarm. You guys know that term lukewarm? Remember what it says in the Bible about lukewarm Christians? Remember the letter that John wrote in Revelations to the seven churches? Look what he writes in, in, in Revelations 3, 15 to 16. Look what he says about lukewarmness. He says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, what was going to happen? God says, I will spit you out of my mouth. You see, lukewarm Christianity is you subscribing to a casual Christianity where you don't believe in the Trinity like Christians do, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What you believe in is a different kind of Trinity. It's me, myself, and I. You pursue God just for yourself and for your own benefit. You're very unconcerned about the things that concern God. I mean, when was the last time we ever, you ever got to a place where you felt the throb of God's heart for things that farly extends beyond just you and your world? Because that's very myopic, Metro. God has concerns that go far beyond just your concerns. Do you know that? And how we can learn of those concerns is when we read the Bible. God will teach us. But when we have these idols in our life, we're so distant from him that we don't even care anymore. We just want God to be, lead us to a life of comfort and safety. And guys, that's not what it means to be a Christian. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, what do you have to do? You've got to pick up your cross. Christianity is not about being casual. It's not about being comforted all the time. It's about you be willing to suffer for our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, like, we don't use the word idols. And you guys might be like, I don't know if I really have idols. What are my idols? Hmm, I wonder. So there are three ways in how you practice idolatry today. All right? I'm going to share that with you. And then I want you to think about these three categories. What, what area do you fall under? You might, some of you might fall into one, two, or all three of them. Right? First way in how you and I practice idolatry is delight. What do you delight in more than God today? Seriously, just ask yourself. Be very honest. What do you delight in more than God? Is it success? Do you want to be more successful? Is your goal of being successful, is that desire greater than God itself? That's dangerous. Is it money, 
right? I do believe money's a big one. You know why I know that? Because Jesus talks more about money than anything else in the, in the Gospels. And so money's a big issue in our culture. And I just want to challenge you guys, really, I want to challenge you during this Christmas season. Don't live for money. Don't delight so much in money. Yes, money is necessary, but don't delight in that more than you delight in Jesus, because that's a dangerous, dangerous idol in our life. Is it being busy all the time? Is it having a great social life? You delight in that. Is it going on vacations all the time with your friends and enjoying yourselves in tropical islands? And I love tropical islands, especially if they're all inclusive. I love that, right? But it's more to life than just delighting in just that. What are the things that you delight in more than Jesus? Ask yourself that question. And for some of you, you're actually living in deep addiction, which is dangerous. Because when you're living in addiction, it's not like you delight in these things, but you're just under the power of it. Like drugs, alcohol. Some of you delight in lust. Some of you have a real deep sexual addiction that's so perverted and dark. And you don't know that actually sex was created by God. It's a beautiful thing, but you continue to practice it in a very perverse and dark way. You're addicted to it, and it's overwhelmed you. What do you delight in today more than Jesus? That's how you practice idolatry. The other thing, who do you trust in? What do you trust in more than you do in God? That's the second way in how you practice idolatry, right? Who do you trust in more than God? Is it you? Is it your boss? Is it your friends? Right? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Who do you trust in more than you trust in God? All right, asking yourself that question is very, very key. All right, last thing is obedience. Who do you obey over God? Who do you listen to more than God? It could be you, because some of you, like, you just trust yourself a lot. It's you. Maybe it's your parents. Some of you actually obey your parents even though you're older. You're married, you've got kids, but you still listen to your parents. And I'm not saying that's like, like a totally bad thing. But like you still do everything they tell you to do. Some of you have actually chosen majors. You pursued professions that your parents told you to do. And you hate it. It doesn't bring you joy. But you still do it. You've obeyed people more than God. Who do you obey over God? Is it you? Is it your boss? Is it your children? Are you, is it your friends? Is it your spouse? Is it your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Who do you obey over God? Those are the three areas in how you practice idolatry. Now, it's really important to name your idols because once you name it, then you have a choice. The choice is, are you going to continue to do it or no? If you can't name it, then you're just going to keep doing it over and over and over again. So name your idols, list them out, and bring them before the Lord and say, today I lay them down at your feet and I offer it and I no longer want to be under the bondage and the power of these things anymore. The Bible is a faith foundation because it is God's redemptive story to human history and how he has redeemed your life and my life. And that's what the Bible is about. So then after we lay down our, our idols, after we finally have said we're not going to live a casually Christian life anymore, how and why is the Bible a faith foundation? The answer to that is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, the NIV, actually, I like the translation, the beginning in the NIV. In the NIV, it says all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, has been breathed by God, Okay. And so this is why the Bible is a faith foundation. So why is the Bible a faith foundation? It's the first thing that we see here in this passage. The Bible is a faith foundation because it teaches us what's true and wrong with our lives. 
The Bible will teach you what is true and what is wrong in your life. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Wouldn't you like to know what's true in your life right now that's worth pursuing? Wouldn't you like to know if you're going the wrong way and the Bible will teach you what that way is so that you stop going that way? Because if we continue to live in the wrong way, we are hitting a dead end. The Bible is tremendously relevant in our lives. It teaches us what's true and how we can begin to live in that truth. It's a beautiful thing, all right? Jesus Christ, he says that I am the truth, the way, and the life. That when you follow him, he says, "Ah, you will truly have life. The Bible teaches us these things, not just so that you can, you know, do like a, a set of do's and don'ts. Right? That's not what it's about. The Bible helps you to understand this deep love story that God has for you and for me. And when we do that, when we get more of God, when, we let the, when the Bible speaks to us about truth in our life, you know what we get more of? We don't get like a badge, like all of a sudden we feel like we're more spiritual now because we know a lot more of the Bible. No, because then you just become a Pharisee. You know what you get more of when you're able to connect with God in the Bible? You get more of God. And that should be all you need, that all you get is God. And, and I hope for all of you, that's all you want, that God is an end rather than a means to end. That you don't read the Bible because you want God to give you some things or bless you with some things, but that you read the Bible so that you can get more of God. And when you get more of God, you know what becomes more sharper than ever? Like a double-edged sword, the truth that God wants you to really believe in today? All of you. Here's what God wants you to believe, all right? Not only do you get, he, does, he wants you to get more of him, but what God really wants from you today is to believe why you were created created. He created you so that you can expand his kingdom. That's why God put you here on this earth. And when you and I read the Bible, we're able to learn of this tremendous work that God loves us and he doesn't want us to be loved in isolation where it's just, okay, God, just you and me and that's it and no one else. You know how that happens when some people start dating? When people start dating, like you meet some couples, I'm sure you have a friend or two like this, that when they start dating somebody, they're no longer your friends. Because all they do is hang out with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And you're like, what's going on? What about me? Like, you know, we're friends too. Like, that's not how God wants you to live your life. He doesn't want you to just live with him and just fall in love with him. It's just between you and him and that's it, no one else. That's not Christianity. That's casual Christianity. What God wants from you is that as you're able to download the reality of his love for you, how furious and powerful it is, then he wants you to realize that I need to go and share this love with everyone else. It's like that Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Remember that story? She was ostracized from society. Nobody wanted her. She would go get the water in the middle of the day. Nobody went to get water in the middle of the day because it was the hottest, hottest day, time of the day. She had to do that because she was an adulterer. She was not able to go with the women. But when Jesus met her and she came to know Jesus Christ, what did she do? Did she say, hey, Jesus, let's just you and I hang out. Let's just, just you and me, let's just hang out in the well here like every day. I'll be here at 12 o'clock. You and I can kick it all the time. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to get to know you. You're going to get to know me. It's going to be awesome. Nobody else has to be in there on this. Did she do that? No. What did she do? What's the first thing she does? And this is the thing. This is how you know you're really encountering God's love. You know you're living in God's love when the first thing that goes into your mind when you experience it is, I got to share it with somebody else. I got to expand the kingdom of God. That I got to let other people experience what I'm experiencing. I can't hold this for myself. That's healthy. That's the God that you get to connect with in the Bible. That when you're able to do that, God shows you again 
that you're here to advance his kingdom. Now, how that looks for you is very different from how it looks for me. But every single one of you, your vocation needs to be connected to transforming and adding to God's kingdom. Amen. It has to be. The way you raise your children, please hear me as parents. I'm a parent too. I want my kids to do well. I would love for them to be successful. But parents, if you put that over them being people that can expand the kingdom of God, my hope is you would choose kingdom of God, expansion of kingdom of God. Then your kid's going to Harvard, getting a great six, seven, eight-digit job. I hope you would choose. I would rather have my kids be people that expands the kingdom of God because they're going to know God's love in a deep and powerful way. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we got to unlearn a lot of things. We have a couple golden calves that we have to lay down for us to understand how important it is for us to be in the kingdom. We cannot embrace this casual Christianity where everything is just so nice and comfortable all the time. No. God wants you to know the depth of his love. And he wants you to know that you, 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 God could use you to transform this world. To do what Jesus Christ came. He came and he said to everyone, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. You see, if we're not willing to live our lives for the kingdom, you know what begins to happen? A lot of wrong is going to occur in our life. And that's why you need the Bible. Because if you don't have the Bible and you're not in it, you're not going to realize. And you're going to begin to live in so much wrong. And so many of us, we're living in so much wrong today. You're pursuing a wrong path with God, where God is more like this ancillary thing in your life, and you're just hoping that that's gonna help you, but you continue to live in the wrong path. And the Bible will teach us, stop living in that wrong path. It'll show you what that path is, so that you would now have a choice to walk the other way. That's the cool thing about the Bible. It's not only gonna teach you what's true with your life, but it's gonna teach you what's wrong with your life so that you can actually begin to change some things in your life. Have you ever gone to the place where you've said, man, what's wrong with my life? Why is my life like this? Why every time I try something, it just never works out? What's going on here? The Bible can help you to see what's wrong with your life and my life. And the Bible will teach you what's true and how you can live in that truth. You know why I know that? Because Jesus, it was good enough for Jesus. Remember when Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? What happened? The devil started to tempt him, right, when he was at his weakest state. And how how did Jesus defeat the temptations of Satan? What did he use? He used the word. Let's go there, Matthew 4, 1 through 10. Matthew 4, 1 through 10. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. Look, the devil knows the word. The devil saw that Jesus was using the Bible. So what does the devil do? Because the devil's smart. He uses the Bible to help him to get him to do it. Look what he says. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike you, your foot against a stone. Here's the dangerous reality. If you're not going to know the word, you don't have the tools to fight the devil. Because the devil could use the Bible to get you to sin. Because that's what he was doing for Jesus. And that's why it's so important for us to be in the world so that we can discern. So what does Jesus say there after he says that? He said, what does he say? Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, all this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The Bible will help you to discover what's true in your life and also what's wrong. That's the beautiful thing about the Bible. And I really hope that you begin to believe that. You're not going to believe it if you continue to walk a path of casually walking with God. You got to lay down your idols, the things that are drawing your attention away from God so you can give all yourself to them. And the Bible becomes a powerful tool. And that's the second thing here. Look at what the Bible does. The Bible is a faith foundation, the second and last thing, because it prepares and equips us to do good works. The Bible prepares and equips us to do good works. Verse 17, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. What is God equipping and preparing you for? To grow his kingdom, to expand his kingdom, to prosper his kingdom and not your kingdom. That's the good work. You see, the Bible will teach you what's true and wrong with your life, but then God will also prepare you and equip you. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to prepare and equip you to go and do his good works. They're good works that will be hard sometimes. That's the good news. God wants you to really care about those who don't know Jesus. And that you would want to welcome them to, for them to connect and encounter God's love in a real deep and powerful way. It's not just for you. It's not just for your kids and family. It's for the whole world. That's the mission that God has called you and I on. How are we doing in that area? Jesus doesn't require anything from his people who don't follow him. I want you to know that. If you're choosing to just be a casual Christian, he's not going to ask you for much. Honestly, he won't. But if you're choosing to follow him, and be his disciple, he's not going to ask you for a little. He's going to ask you for everything in the thing, everything that you have and own. He's going to ask from the, he's going to ask the world of you because you're choosing to be his disciple. And I hope for all of you, you would still say, sign me up for that, Jesus. I will do it because life with Jesus is far better than anything else this world has to offer. The Bible will prepare and equip you to do God's good work. It's going to prepare you and give you tools to help you deal with those coworkers or that boss that you seem is always against you. It's going to prepare and equip you to learn um, to, to sort of figure out what this new chapter in life is going to be that God is leading you towards. Okay? It's going to prepare and equip you to learn to love that in-law that you just cannot stand. It's going to prepare and equip you to do that. He's going to prepare and equip you to discern what God is trying to do with your life, maybe the life of your friends, people who are close. He prepares and equips you not to commit adultery on your spouse because you shouldn't think about that just because you feel like your spouse isn't loving you the way you deserve to be loved. He prepares and equips you not to cheat so that you can become wealthy and make more money. He prepares and teaches you these things. He prepares and teaches you to look at people the way God wants you to see them so that if they've hurt you, you can see them the way God does so that you can be able to forgive them and not live in bitterness. That's how he prepares and equips us to advance his kingdom. And here's the last thing. I just want you to know this. He prepares and equips you to do supernatural things if you give him an opportunity to. That God will use you to do things you would never have dreamed of. But you've got to be open to it. You've got to just say, I trust more in you, God, than I trust in myself. 
That's what he wants to prepare and equip you for, to advance his kingdom so that you can live this world where you don't have to sort of live under the tyranny of your broken fleshly desires so you don't have to act like just like everyone else in the world, but that you can really be a different kind of Christian, a different kind of person, and that you'll begin to see and love people the way God would want you to love them. The Bible is truly the word of God. It is a faith foundation because it teaches you what is true and wrong with your life. It it prepares you and equips you to do God's good work, which is expanding his kingdom. And if you really want to take that seriously today, you got to lay down your idols before him. Because if you don't, it's going to be hard for you to make the Bible a faith foundation. So what are those idols in your life? If I'm just going to be honest with you, over the past two years, um, it's been a very difficult journey for me. I'm starting to let my staff in on that a little bit over the last couple of months. It's been hard. I haven't had an executive pastor in over two years, and that's been a huge challenge. So I've been doing two jobs. I've been doing a job of a, a senior pastor, but I've also been doing a job of an executive pastor. We've had some amazing lay people kind of step up during those times, like Rasha Erz, who used to be one of our elders. She oversaw the finances of our church. That's not an area of my expertise, and so she did that. And then when she stepped down from the elder board because her time was up, um, Andre Solomon, another partner in our church who is a CFO, has decided to help and offer a lot of leadership in the finance areas of our church, and it's been tremendous. But outside of that, I still have to bear the load of what EPs do and what senior pastors do. And it's been a lot. It's been stressful, and there have been, there's been some seasons in my life where I feel back in those early days when I started Metro when I knew what burnout was really doing to me, and I have to be careful. I struggle with some of my staff members. They've caused me to be anxious. I've struggled with some of my elders where they've caused me to be anxious, where I've lost sleep at night. And I, if you know anything about me, I, I'm, I have the gift of sleep. But I've lost some days where I just can't sleep. And also, there, during these past two years, some of you have really challenged me to love you. Because <laughs> you have not been easy to love. It's been hard. I feel like I've been battered a little bit. And some of you are like, but how are you able, but like you seem so unfazed. Like you come up here at least once or twice a month and you're preaching. Things seem like they're going well. Like are you like a good actor or something? And trust me, I am not a good actor. I'm a terrible actor. I've tried acting before. I'm just so bad at it. So I'm not a good actor. You know what the secret is? Honestly, if I'm just going to be honest with you, it's the Bible. That's it. Amen. That every morning... There are days I don't want to read the Bible. There are days I'd rather just sleep in and not even look at it. There are days where I would rather sin and live in my sinful nature than read it. But every morning I get up and I open that book and I try my best to see what God has to say. And the things he shows me about myself that I need to change Over these past two years, I never thought I had to die to myself the way God wanted me to die to. He's asked me to die to myself in ways I've never felt in a million years. I had to do that. But I had to. And the only reason why I can still be here and be your pastor is that when I read the Bible, and not all the time, but a lot of times, God teaches me what is true and what's wrong with my life. And he prepares me to do the good work of being your pastor 
as hard as it can be at times, to expand his kingdom. Without it, I wouldn't be here today. I don't think I'd be another pastoral statistic of another pastor falling either into sin or he's done. He decides to quit the ministry. It's the Bible that has kept me rooted. And I wish, I wish all of myself, I wish, if I, if I could have a wish for you today, I wish you could also see the Bible and let the Bible minister and speak to you in that way. Because if it does, it'll change your life, Metro. It will change your life. So will you stop being a casual Christian today? Will you lay down the idols that you need to lay down so that the Bible can teach you what is true and what's wrong with your life? Will you let the Bible prepare you and equip you to do God's good work of advancing his kingdom? Because if you're not going to live your life for that, you're just going to be like everyone else that doesn't go to church. Or you're going to be like 75% of the Christians in the church today. We're you're just going to live hoping that God's just going to bring you more comfort, more blessing, more money, and keep your kids safe. There's so much more to your faith than that. If you're willing to live it and surrender yourself to the authority of Scripture. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lay down your idols right now. I'm going to encourage you to think about that. What do you delight in more than God? What do you trust in more than God? And what do you obey more than God right now? Or who? I want you to lay that down. And be open and commit yourself to being a part of the word. I'm going to give you a few moments to do that. And then I'm going to pray for you. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And so God, for my brothers and sisters who are here, who are watching in the nursery and to those who are watching at home, if they've laid down their idols, I pray God that you would take them away and you will let it burn in their lives and destroy it so they can begin to take this journey of encountering the God of the scriptures. God, would you speak to them as they spend some time meditating on scripture? Jesus, you promised that because we have the spirit living inside of us, that you're going to give truth to the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. And so I pray that this week, as my brothers and sisters open up the scripture and they read and meditate, I pray that they would be, Holy Spirit, you would speak your truth to them so they can know what's true and wrong in their lives so that you can prepare them to do the good work that are advancing your kingdom. God, help us to hate casual Christianity. Help us to never like it. Help us to never want to be a friend to it. I pray that we will loathe it so that we can come to you and live a fully surrendered life. So God, help us to know the throb of your heart and I thank you that you love us and that you always give us second chances. 
So I pray for those who feel like maybe they don't deserve a chance, God, that you would show them that's more about them than about you because you always give second chances. Help us to rise up to this challenge, pick up our cross and follow after you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.